Ah, August, the month of repose, the carefree month when our workaday world stops or at least drags its feet in the beach sand. In your dreams, Americans get fewer days off than any other workers in the industrialized world, and we often don't even use up all of those. Even when we are on holiday, we may sneak looks at the office email or read memos or write them while the world frolics around us. We hate the idea of slacking off, and yet we have a sneaking admiration for the stylish slackers who do so little and do it so well. Tom Lutz, author, critic, and founder of the Los Angeles Review of Books, wrote a book called Doing Nothing, A History of Loafers, Loungers, Slackers, and Bums in America, and bestirred himself to talk about our national paradox. Here we get down to cases, as you write in your book, in this country, if the self-made man pulling him up by his own bootstraps is the typical American, the slacker is his necessary twin without whom American history is equally unthinkable. We have been sold this mythology, though, of nose to the grindstone, of the bootstrap story. They seem like two halves of our American selves. Yes. And of course, we are you know, a, a country that's formed mostly around the Industrial Revolution. And so we have an Industrial Revolution idea about work. Nobody in, in Greece talked about the ennobling value of work. Uh, there was no work ethic in ancient Rome. They had a slave class. They had a slave class. If you, if you were unlucky, you worked. If you were <laughs> born lucky, you didn't work. You did other things. You maybe even did some philosophy, but you didn't work. Um, and so the, the idea that work is valuable and important and the essence of what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, all of that is, um, is an industrial revolution phenomenon. And, and almost immediately, the slacker figure shows up uh, as a country goes through an industrial revolution. The idea of the slacker as a political hero, as a counterculture mm-hmm. hero, is still a frustrating one for people who do the work and who see this fellow, this sponger, this slacker, whatever you want to call him, getting away with it, in fact, being admired for it. This book actually started completely accidentally. I was going to write a book about anger because my son had moved into my house. The first chapter is called Cody. Cody on the Couch. Yeah, and he, and, and he proceeded to lay on the couch and do nothing, and it drove me nutty, which, as I talk about that, it makes no sense. I was a slacker as a kid too. I did a lot of nothing myself. I should have understood that he was just in a kind of momentary moratorium figuring out what he was going to do with his life. But I, it made me really angry and was trying to figure that out. And it turned into a book about work and work, the work ethic. And work, because so many people are angry online, you can find people screaming about lazy people um, everywhere. It's part of the complex. Although surprisingly, the people who claim to be the champions of the work ethic, like Benjamin Franklin, who is the main avatar of the work ethic in early America. He was a bit of a slacker. John Adams, when he comes to Paris, says, well, you have to fire Franklin. He does nothing. He, he, all, he lays around all day. The only thing he's not late for is lunch. But if you look at what he accomplished, you can hardly grudge him his time off. Our famous slackers were workaholics, a lot of them. You know, Jack Kerouac, an early hero of mine, he represents himself as a guy who loves to lounge around and drink wine and do nothing else. But he actually liked to drink wine and type. 
Is it because this country was forged bang in the middle of the Industrial Revolution that we bring this work ethic as part of American culture to ourselves and our lives? I think it's partly because of the Industrial Revolution, undoubtedly, maybe most importantly, the Protestant work ethic, kind of Calvinist ideas of works getting you into heaven, doing the right stuff. So you're punching the divine clock. Exactly. You're, you're, you're working for eternity. And these slackers that we resent and admire at mm-hmm. the same time, you go back to Rip Van Winkle yeah. as one of them. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Roma, please, I just woke up. What are your plans for today? Plans? Uh, well, we really haven't given it much thought, eh, boy? Well, I have. I've made you a list of things that need to be done around here. I've done it for your own good, as a favor, so it'll be easier for you. You just, uh, as you accomplish each task, you merely cross it off and go on to the next. Oh. I must say, my dear, you have a talent for organization. And as modern as Ferris Bueller and the Sean Penn character Spicoli in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Sorry I'm late. It's just like this new schedule's totally confusing. And I know that, dude. Mr. Spicoli. That's the name they gave me. Hey, you're ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? We love them even as we resent them, and we make folk heroes out of them. We do, although we don't always like them as co-workers. Office space. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just, we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh... I use the side door, that way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Uh, space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. There are lots of things that we like in our entertainments that represent the values that we both feel beholden to and oppressed by. We love to see them made fun of in our entertainments, but that's a very different thing than than real life. And as you said, in modern films, we have characters like Ferris Bueller, who Mm -hmm. in a way earns his sloth because he's been a good kid, he's gotten good grades, he's going to go to a good school, so there's just that one day he's going to take. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? This is my ninth sick day this semester. It's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses. If I go for 10, I'm probably going to have to barf up a lung. So I better make this one count. And... And, you know, he's, uh, he's a very um, enterprising slacker, right? He builds a whole lot of machinery to get himself to make it look like he's asleep in bed. There's a lot of effort into his day off. Did working on this book change your sense of this country even and how it regards itself? 
it gave me a sense of how, you know, my own neuroses. I am a workaholic. I do work all the time. I work way too much in the sense that everybody talks about Americans working more hours than any other country in the world. I'm part of that statistic. I guess I already knew that there was something funny, funky about our apparent love of work. And part of what's wrong with it is that we hate work as well. August is the month of vacation. Certainly mm-hmm. all over the world, people are going on holiday guilt-free. In France, there is no singular for the word vacation. It's plural, les vacances. It's uh-huh. always plural. Uh-huh. So we, we feel very ambivalent. We don't even take the pathetic number of vacation days that we are allotted right. in this country. And when we do go on vacation, we feel guilty at not being at work, afraid that we're going to lose our jobs because we're not working, even though we're taking time we're entitled to. Yeah. And a lot of people on vacation decide that they need to bicycle uh, a thousand miles across New Zealand or something, you know, to, uh, so that it's productive somehow. And now that our offices can fit in our pocket, people are working on vacations all the time. I try to get the folks at the Los Angeles Review Books to take actual vacations, and they're constantly on their phones, answering their emails, taking care of things while they're away. There are a lot of calls for Americans to be less driven in their work and be a little bit more relaxed. There's clear health benefits to taking vacations. There's a push to get us to relax a bit. I think it would be probably great if we could be a little bit Frencher. Frencher, I like yeah. that. Or at least at least Japanese, you know, who uh, work still considerably less than Americans do. This gets to a question of class in work, because there's still work that is punch clock work, that is 9 to 5 or 8 to 4, or the midnight shift, where when people come home, they don't keep checking their work email. I think that, yes, the difference between professional work, the kind of professional work that we do, and 9 to 5 factory work or construction work or any any kind of physically demanding work is, I think it's overstated. I did spend 10 years in the working class, and so I worked as a cook, I worked as a carpenter, I did a lot of different jobs, and my sense of what my work life then was very similar to what it is now. That is, I took a certain satisfaction out of doing the job well. Felix Frankfurter, before he was on the Supreme Court, was working with uh, the head of U.S. Steel, eight-hour day, in court over the eight-hour day um, union requirement. And the head of U.S. Steel said, well, you know, look at us. We're, it's 10 o'clock at night, and we're still talking to each other. We're still working. Why should these people in the factory work less than we do? And, the answer uh, would seem obvious to me. Which is? They're only getting paid for the time they're working there and not very much at that. Yes, that's one. That's part of the answer. And the other part of the answer on Frankfurter's part was, well, look how interesting our work is. We kind of want to keep doing this. And so if you don't want to keep hammering steel with a sledgehammer, you should be able to stop after eight hours. You can define work by saying it's something you don't want to be doing. <laughs> well, that is that is one way to, to define it, yeah. If it doesn't feel like work means I really like what I'm doing. There's one aspect of this we haven't mentioned, which is all of the sloth, all these slackers, the flaneurs, the Mm -hmm. do-nothings, their lives are made possible by women who are not slackers. Well, um, there have been a lot of 
women who were slackers over the years as well. Not as many, because women's work was not considered work in the same way that industrial work was, right? So it didn't get picked up in the culture in the same way. It was just stuff that you had to do in the same way that brushing your teeth, if you're a man, is not considered work. Cleaning things was not considered part of a work life, right? We understand that it is work, but it was not picked up by the culture in that way at the period in which this complex was being formed in industrial culture. These guys pretty much couldn't do what they do without somebody there, you know, washing their clothes and putting food on their plates. Yeah, although I do think it's interesting to, to wonder to what extent the kind of um, claiming daily activity as work, why do we want to say that changing a baby's diaper is work rather than because you have to do it whether you like to or not. Yes, you do. But you have to eat whether you like it or not. I'm going to get a lot of pushback on I this. Know, I know. I know. I understand me. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that we're a culture which has to, kind of feels compelled to identify what is work and what is not work. And it's the claims about women's work, which we all have accepted since the 70s. And that's a subculture of art, and literature, film, too, where you see role-flipping movies like Mr. Mom, where mm -hmm. he thinks she's does, she does nothing, she thinks he does nothing, but they go to lunch all day, and they try each other's shoes on for size. <laughs> right, yeah. You want to talk about this shirt for a second, Jack? All right. You've been wearing this shirt around the house for about two weeks now. It can walk around by itself. Why don't you retire that thing to the Dry Cleaning Hall of Fame, huh? Because it's a comfortable shirt. Jack, take a look at yourself. You've really thrown in the towel, honey. My brain is like oatmeal. I yelled at Kenny today for color on Outside the Lines. Megan and I are starting to watch the same TV shows, and I'm liking them. I'm losing it. What are you doing for vacation? I'm on my way to Ethiopia. But, see, it's work. I'm going to write about it. I do understand it. I'm completely lying to myself all of the time. Whenever I'm trying to relax, I'm lying to myself. When I'm working, I'm lying to myself. So I don't know what the alternative would be. I only do it this one way, which is a bizarre combination of slacker and workaholic that has defined my life from the beginning. So And much of America's. Tom Lutz, thank you so much. Enjoy your vacation. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Dave Wine and Mike Heflin and edited by Heflin. The movie moments are from Ferris Bueller's Day Off from Paramount Pictures, Office Space and Mr. Mom from 20th Century Fox, and Fast Times at Richmond High from Universal Pictures. The George Gershwin song Summertime was performed by Ella Fitzgerald on the 24 Blue Music label, and Janis Joplin was on Columbia Records. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast. Hey, the cotton on, cotton's high.